Hi, everybody. My name is Will DeMichaelis. I am a funeral director here in Southern California, and I am here with hospice chaplain Donna Brenier. Say hello, Donna. Hi. And we are here with our first episode of Death Diner. Um, our goal here is to have medium to discuss and build a knowledge base of everything involving death, dying, and grief, um, and to talk a little bit about what we know and what we're experts in with a touch of personal experience and hope that it resonates with all of you out there. Um, we hope that with what we talk about, it reaches you in some way. Um, so we hope you enjoy this endeavor of ours um, and um, visit us often. Um, so Donna, um, as a hospice chaplain, um, a person who deals with the bereaved daily um, and has seen so many different people and types of people go through this, um, how would you define grief? I would define grief as a variety of emotions and experiences that we have um, when we are experiencing the loss of a loved one. It's also uh, grief can also be experienced with non-physical losses like dreams or expectations we might have had of that relationship. Mm -hmm. And it has some similarities for all of us, but it's an individual journey. Mm -hmm. So we all walk through this journey of grief, al not alone, but in our own way, mm -hmm. kind of unique. Yeah. Uh, but it can be a variety of emotions. It can feel like a roller coaster. It can feel like I'm out of control because mm -hmm. of the different feelings I'm having or um, thoughts that I'm having, those kinds of things. Do you, do you feel that with the families you encounter, um, I know you've, you've helped mm -hmm. so many can you describe, you described a little bit about how grief manifests mm -hmm. itself, like a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any good examples of things that you've encountered that people feel? Um, I, in my experience, I, I've had people kind of convey to me triggers. Mm -hmm. Have you, have you had those experiences as well? Yes. Uh, you can have triggers of feelings. You can have no feelings at all. You can feel numb, which kind of, I think, concerns people when they're feeling numb or they're not feeling any emotion or they're not crying because many of us think of grief equals crying mm -hmm. or some kind of emotion. And for some, there is no tears and they don't understand why. So there's questions of, am I, am I grieving wrong or is there something I should be doing differently? Yeah. Uh, and in, in reality, it's, it's how it's manifesting for you. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean the tears won't come later with like a trigger um, someone's birthday or a special day or a realization of the first time you pick up the phone to call them to share a, an awesome experience. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're not there, or it could be you always watch t the same TV show and then you talk, talk to each other and share how it went. And you go to pick up the phone and realize the other person's not on the other end of the line. Yeah. Or you actually make the call and let's say someone in the house answers the phone and reminds you, um, grandma's not here. Yeah. And it's a whole new feeling sometimes. Uh, yeah. It, I've, I've had families that explain to me a, a trigger moment yeah. 
And then they, they mentioned to me, well, you know, when I was reading about grief and they, uh, and the Kubler-Ross mm -hmm. method, and, and I thought I was over this, you know, I thought that that was, mm -hmm. I, I spent my time in that stage <laughs> and, and that I, and that, that had already passed. And now that I'm feeling this, I, am I back at this stage? And I have yet to, to go through the, the last two or what, wherever yeah. they feel like mm -hmm. they've, they've yeah. progressed to. Yeah. And I, I always say that model has evolved yes. and, and those stages don't have to come with any time constraints. They don't have to come in that order. And whatever you're doing is natural to mm -hmm. you. Yeah. And you should listen to that. And nothing's wrong about it. Right. And grief I, is not linear. It's it, not, it's linear. not A, B, C, D, or E, and oh, now I'm back to C again. Mm -hmm. It it's all over the place. And for some people, grief is uh, strictly emotional. For others, it's task oriented, and they yeah. feel like they need to get things done to help or do different things. And they're like, well, why am I not feeling angry? We don't often feel angry. It is a common emotion of grief, but it's not always one that we walk through. It's interesting that I think that's something that's very human, um, that when we're faced with grief, we immediately try to solve it as if yes. it's a problem. Exactly. And it's not. And it's not. And, and that's one of the worst things about it, mm -hmm. but one of the best things that you can realize about it. When you think of grief as a response to the love that I had in my life, whatever the relationship was, I think it can put it in a different perspective mm -hmm. of I'm feeling this, these emotions, this, this feelings of grief because as a result of the love I had in my life or the relationship I had in my life, whomever it was, it could be a sibling, it could be an aunt, it could be a parent, it could be a child, it could be a spouse, it could be any number of yeah. people. And I'm feeling these emotions as a result of the love that I got to experience. And sometimes when it, when you can look at it in that respect, you have a different experience of the grieving process and you realize it's not, one of the myths is that I'm going to get over grief. Yeah. I, you get over the flu. You yeah. don't get over grief. Yeah. It's a, a way that we integrate the relationships that we have and the love and all the different emotions as we continue to grow and heal and shift and evolve. But it's not something I'm going to get over yeah. and wonder what's taking me so long because there isn't a set timeline. That's one yeah. of the myths is yeah. it takes a year for some, it takes longer for some, it takes less. It's, yeah. it's unique yeah. for each one. And that's kind of the hard part I think for us to understand. And I, I even think further, some people mm -hmm. don't get over it. No. They don't process it well. No. They just they may not have a personality that that they can reconcile mm -hmm. the loss. Or with. they don't feel they're worth. That's true. You know, yeah. did I really love somebody if I'm getting over their death? Yeah. And is that a betrayal? Exactly. Wow. Is it a betrayal of you know, I don't have the right to, to laugh again because my loved one can't laugh. I don't have the right to re-engage in life with joy because my loved one isn't here to yeah. enjoy it too. So there's some of that too, of the guilt um, and, and working through that. What do you, what do you say to, to folks who feel that way? Um, if, if you're faced with a, a, a bereaved family mm -hmm. in that position, what, what can you say to them 
that allow that that will give that would give them that perspective. I first validate how they're feeling. Uh, if you look at the word bereaved, the core word is reeve, and that it translates to feeling robbed. And sometimes I think we feel robbed of a relationship or robbed of a life that we were enjoying that we didn't want to do differently. Yeah. So I try to encourage them by asking them, what would your loved ones say if they were here? Would yeah. they want you to continue to feel this way for the rest of your life? Or would they want you to have a different response mm -hmm. and ask them to think about that? And sometimes it's letter writing, write a letter to your loved one, um, sharing how you're feeling and imagine if they could respond, what would they say? It's nothing you have to share with anybody else it's between you and them. But what would, what do you think their response would be? Do you think they would give you permission to, to move on? Um, did you talk about it before they died? Cause if they had a long illness, there might've been some conversations. Yeah. Um, I have, I know somebody who her and her husband talked about it before he died and he told her what he wanted. Yeah. Um, and how he hoped she would live, you know, her days cause they were both young. And, um, I think it's given her some peace in moving forward with her life because she's almost like she has his permission to heal yeah. and, and to love again, um, in a variety of different capacities. Yeah. I, it's interesting that you chose the words move forward. Mm -hmm. Um, in some things that I've heard and read with our mm -hmm. circle, it's yeah. the difference between moving on and moving forward yeah. is big. It is big. Um, and it's, you can tell when one person is doing one and not the other. Yes. Um, in, in your experience with the bereaved, mm -hmm. how, what advice do you give the support system of someone who is bereaved? So let's, let's say in the loss of a, a spouse, mm -hmm. Um, everyone in the family is grieving. Yes. Um, some more than others. How do you tackle the different relationships and make sure that everyone takes care of themselves, but also finds a role in taking care of each other? I share uh, this metaphor, this analogy metaphor, which is just like we're all created with their own fingerprint. We're also created with our own grief print, which means even in a family, we're going to grieve differently. There might be some similarities, some overlaps, and at the same time to honor each other's way of grieving. Someone might want to talk about it where someone else won't honor that and know mm -hmm. that you're giving each other space to heal in a way that works for you. Uh, some people choose to grieve completely alone yeah. and others want to grieve with outside support self-care is so important in the grieving process take care of you if that means going for a walk when you need to take a walk writing journaling um seeing a therapist if that's something that's important to you mm -hmm. especially if you already had a therapist for other reasons utilize that person you can't have too big of a support system yeah uh for some it's nature uh going out to the ocean or sitting with a beloved pet Mm -hmm. um, can bring comfort and peace and a sense of healing. It's all unique for each person, but to honor that in the family, because the role that person had who died had a different role with each family member yeah. and honor what that relationship was. Um, 
if it's a spouse who's died, it could be someone's parent in addition to the spouse or someone's son if the grandparents are still alive. So they're all a slightly different relationship and honor that. That's a that's such a great such great advice mm-hmm. because I I see a a family in a room mm-hmm. and when family members don't honor that and don't have that perspective, which is hard to when yes, you're grieving. Absolutely. Because you're going through it yourself and the world revolves around you, uh-huh. especially then. Yep. They they will lash out oh, yeah. if, if it doesn't, if someone else's behavior doesn't align with what they're doing. Or their expectation. expectation of them. Yes. And I'm very glad that you said that because that validates mm-hmm. my opinion and kind of my advice that I give to families. Yeah. Um, which it seems so natural, but it, it is something that has to be said because most people won't think of that on their own in those moments. No. Um, because your world has stopped. When you're mm-hmm. grieving, it's like where what happened? The world went from technicolor, bright colors, you know, the vibrant blues and greens and purples to black, white, and gray almost instantaneously. And we can feel a sense of betrayal as how come their world didn't stop when mine did? Yeah. It might be your perception of their world because the way you're communicating or not being able to communicate as well as you might have been able to. And you're also raw. Your emotions are raw. You've got a variety of emotions. You don't, for all we know, there might not have been good communication while the person was ill. And now you're seeing the the aftermath of that. Well, I didn't know dad was, was dying. Well, he didn't want you to know. So now I have to deal with this where you've had some time to start processing it. And, and I didn't, and now I'm in a different place. Wow. Do you find, do you see that a lot? Sometimes. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. How do people handle that? Like that initial, that's gotta be difficult, especially from a parent. Like if, if you have a sibling and that sibling was privy to more information in critical times, mm -hmm. and then you, you have to, you're there picking mm-hmm. up the pieces and you learn that it's like, why, why didn't I why trust didn't... is broken? Yeah. You know, trust is broken and there's no way to solve it. The no. person's gone. Person's gone. There's forgiveness and there's things you can do afterwards, but in the moment you have to honor where I would encourage, you don't have to, but I would honor to, you know, to honor where you're at Yeah. and, and feel those feelings. Cause there can be a sense of anger. There could be a sense of separation. There could be a sense of guilt. If I had known, I wouldn't have gone on that camping trip. Yeah. I would have stayed home. Or if I had known, maybe I would have put school off a semester and mm-hmm. stayed home. But all the what ifs, we'll never know. And that's the hard part is we live our life. We make the choices we make in the moment. And then something happens. We can feel like I didn't have all of the puzzle pieces. So how could have I made a different decision? And that's where our role is sometimes is to point that out gently as, this is something you're seeing after the fact where you can see the bigger picture where you're in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. You only see the pictures that are, are allotted to you Yeah, and realizing you made the best decisions you could in that moment with the information you had. Yeah. You know, I'm always a firm believer. If we could do differently, we would. Yeah. And, and that's across the board, whether we're grieving or making life decisions or what we're going to have for dinner, you know, it's the, we do the best we can in that moment yeah. and, and give ourselves that credit and that compassion for ourselves. 
And sometimes when we think about it, our family members are private and they don't want people to know what's happening for whatever reason and honor that uh, if you can. Yeah. If you can, because you you, you 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 usually care a lot. So you're like, I want to help. I want to, I want to be there. Yeah. But yeah. And we get angry. You know, we were, we have anger for a reason. That's an emotion that can be a a good use if we Mm. use that, those emotions, you know, appropriately because anger can move us forward. It can make us mad enough to make a change on something. If you think about some of the nonprofits that are created out of grief because of the anger, like mothers against drunk driving, Mm -hmm. it was a mom who didn't want another parent to go through what she did. So she funneled her anger into a healthy avenue of a nonprofit to help others. So there are ways you can take the anger that you feel and funnel it into something positive. Yeah. Turning that anger into inspiration Mm -hmm. instead of self-destruction. Yeah. And that's, and that's moving forward and that's moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a, so we've kind of discussed a framework of of really great advice Mm -hmm. for the bereaved. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of want to, juxtapose that uh-huh. with an answer to a question. Um, do you think most people take your advice when you give it? I on I offer it not necessarily as advice, but as suggestions. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes they take it if it resonates with them. Yeah. And I always tell my families or people I'm working with is if it doesn't work for you, don't use it. Okay. Because I'm the belief that I have in grief is to journey along with somebody who's grieving, not push them or pull them or more of a guide, more of a comforter, uh, someone to walk this journey with you as you heal. Mm Because we have our own answers, but with some education and some uh, validation of our feelings, I think we can find our own answers. Yeah. Uh, And no, not everybody takes takes the suggestions and that's okay. As long as we've planted a seed of something to take you with you to, as you heal and maybe help you find an avenue that works for you, because there's so many different avenues out there for grief um, that we'd want the one that works for you, not the one you think someone else thinks you should do. Because then I think we take ownership of it and we have an opportunity to um, feel inspired. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, there are certain things that we always encourage, like, please try positive ways of coping and, you know, rather than more of the negative ones, because then you go down a path that could cause more problems Mm -hmm. and spiral. Um, and those are the conversations that we have as we interact, um, depending on what their interests needs are. Mm. Uh, and I hope that people that I've worked with understand how I feel like it's an honor to get to work with them, that they're already whole and they're hurting and they may not feel whole, but they're whole. They just can't see it right now because of the pain they're in. Absolutely. I, I guess kind of with that question, I was, I want to get a sense of in your landscape personally, mm-hmm. and maybe if you can extrapolate out, okay. do you think that people grieve, people in America mm-hmm. grieve well? Like, do, do they face, I guess this is a question of, do they face death well? 
No. No. Because it's something we don't talk about until we have to. Yeah. I can, that part I can definitely say, I wish we dealt with it differently because death is a normal part of life. Loss happens. It happens every day. When we go to bed, we lose a day to a night to become day. Mm -hmm. And we don't realize the amount of losses that we have because we don't want to talk about them. We're always looking for the upside. And I don't, we don't talk about death unless we have to. Um, I can't tell you how many people find out what I do. And that's the last time they talk to me. It's like, really? oh, you're, me the too. you're the death lady. Oh, no, me we too. don't want to talk about that. Me too. Oh, yeah. 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 And it's like, well, it's important. <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I know. It's like, I, I mean, some, someone, so, you know, I get it. It's like, well, someone's got to do it. Exactly. You know, it's like, yeah. What, can, what is that? Like, yeah. what, what, yeah. what bucket are you putting me in? You know, it's yeah. so weird. It's so bizarre. Um, when are you going to get to be um, promoted to something else? Yeah. You know, and um, you actually, you chose this. It chose me. Yeah. I feel and, the same way. Yeah. And it's, it. I wish we grieve differently. Yeah. I'm not going to say better differently. And, and we're willing to talk about it when there's a need for it. And, and that's why I think that your the world you work in uh -huh. with hospice is nice because you know that if a person's accepted hospice mm -hmm. care, that at least they've acknowledged that the end is near for their loved one. Yes. And there are the majority of people in the, in the mm -hmm. U.S. Are, don't pass away on hospice care. Mm -hmm. No. They don't, they don't know the benefits of it. Right. Um, which I think if more people did, they would they would choose to accept that at the end. Absolutely. Um, but it all kind of goes back from there. If 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 you're in if you're in the hospital and and you know that mom has a diagnosis, mm -hmm. this the there's no there's usually no quit in people, right? And uh, in, because they don't want that person to leave mm -hmm. and the doctors, um, some of them, not mm -hmm. all of them, mm -hmm. um, view their patient passing away as a failure. Yes. And that is the, the family not wanting their loved one to pass away and the doctor having the fear of the person passed away as a failure come together as let's, let's keep this person alive as long as possible, rather than asking the question, are, are we maximizing this person's quality of life though at the end of their, their life? This is all that they have yeah. left. And are they spending it the way they want? Exactly. And is are you quality? even asking them? Is it quality <laughs> or quantity? And exactly. Have you asked them what they want? Because that, I think if we could have more conversations, even before we get to this, this part, this stage or phase of life, because I mean, I had my first advanced directive written at 23, and that's like unheard of. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and, but it was important to me that people knew what I wanted because of some of the stories I'd heard and read because of school and, and things like that. And I realized, oh, my gosh, I want to have a say in this. And if I'm all of a sudden in an accident or something happens and I can't make my needs known, I want somebody to know what I want. Yeah. To, a, to help them maybe make these decisions and B, so I know I'm being taken care of the way I want to be taken care of. It's up to the person to follow it, but at least I've written it down. Mm -hmm. And 
with with hospice, I think many people think it's a giving in, and mm-hmm. it's not. It's hospice is about pain management, symptom management, comfort care. It's about bringing in a, a team of people to provide care to not just the the person who's who's dying, but their family, whomever they call family. Yeah, and and be able to have these conversations to hopefully have some quality versus quantity, um, and. Unfortunately, I think even in those situations, there's still no conversation because I don't want my loved one to give up. Yeah. I know I've been, I've called off for support as a chaplain. Oh, no, no, you can't come because my loved one will give up if they see you coming. Okay. So then I try and work with the family if they'll allow me to, to try and educate that. So, so it, in, in that particular instance, mm-hmm. is it your just so I have this mm-hmm. right, and I mm-hmm. think I do. Are they saying that their loved one, like, whether they're faith-based mm-hmm. or not, mm-hmm. most likely faith-based, mm-hmm. if your presence is there mm-hmm. and they, they think or have some fear mm-hmm. that your presence and conversation mm-hmm. may validate their person, that person's choice to, to leave and mm-hmm. to pass away, mm-hmm. And they'll make that choice sooner after a conversation with you. I think that's their fear, and that's oh not the re- but that's not the reality. No, no, no. And no. you know, it's been shown that people can actually live longer on hospice, even if it's only a couple of weeks, because their pain's managed. They are getting attention. They're, mm-hmm. um, and when your pain is managed, you tend to be hungry. Mm-hmm. Even if you're only eating a couple tablespoons a day, it's because you're not in pain yeah, and, or be able to talk to your loved one because your pain's managed and you're not sleeping to be out of pain. So there's so many positives to it. I just don't think we have enough education out there totally. because we're all afraid of dying Yeah, way back centuries ago. It was a family event. Death was a family event. It happened at home. Your loved ones yeah. took care of you and, and you died in the home and the undertaker came, you know, and all of these things. And now, we call 911 or we get them out of our home and then we go somewhere unless they die at home on hospice comfortable, which is, which is, which is the goal, the goal, which is, is the, the goal. Yeah. And I think it's a valid goal to have. Yeah. I, I couldn't imagine having a diagnosis and, and having the choice to go home mm-hmm. or stay in a hospital or some sort of facility yeah. and, and not, wanting to go home. I, 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 yeah, it's just not, it's just not natural. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I would want to be loved ones around, around you. Familiarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, even if they, the hearing is hearing is the last sense to go, they say. And if you're in your own home, let's say you're in your living room and you can't verbally communicate, that doesn't mean you can't hear the hustle and bustle, the meals being prepared, the conversations, mm-hmm. the music, whatever's going on, you can still feel a part of it, even if you can't actively participate. Uh, and that's why we always, always suggest and encourage that if there's something you want said to your loved one, even if they can't respond, say it. Same. Whether it's through FaceTime, through a phone call, through writing, emailing letter and someone reading it or being there in person, because you still have that opportunity to, to share what you need to share. And for those who are grieving, it can help. There's something called anticipatory grief, which is when you're anticipating the loss before your loved one has died. Mm -hmm. And we go through those emotions many times and having that opportunity to say my goodbyes 
or something that I really feel like I need to share with my loved one before they die can really help the grieving process after they pass because you're not feeling regrets like, oh, I wish I would have said this. I wish I have said that. You've had that opportunity mm-hmm. to do that. And, but you can only do that if there's communication yeah. and an understanding. And sometimes it's scary and it's hard. You've learned that working with your families when they come in to make arrangements and yeah. It's, it's hard because we can't take their pain away, but we can walk it with them. True, true. And you guys do that all the time. That's, yeah, that's, and that's the goal. And that's, I think, I think we both like, we're not there to solve anyone's problem. Nope. We're there to let you know, hey, you don't have to sit in this mud pit alone. Mm-hmm. I'll, play, I'll play in the mud with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll get down and hold your hand while you do what you need what to you do. do. What you need to do. And, and that is... It's amazing that I, I see amazing families who know that and they provide that yes. and it brings tears to my eyes when I see it mm-hmm. because it makes my job easier. Yeah. It's like, I'm not the one doing this. You, you as a human being innately know that that's what your mom needs, your brother needs, yeah. your sister needs, whatever. Mm-hmm. And usually we're the ones that's, that step into the role. Yeah. Um, especially if there's just not a lot of family. Right. Um, and, and I'm always happy to do that. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's amazing to, to be able to do that and offer that to folks because they're anticipating going through it alone. And that makes them. It's scary. Scared, angry, or anxious, m- more upset. Yeah. Or anxious. And just feel just to lend an ear and, mm-hmm. and your heart. Yeah. It, it they take a, a sigh of relief. Yeah. And and that's amazing to give to somebody. It's amazing to give to someone. It really is. And it's a gift. And that's the one thing with grief is we can't take the pain away. But like you said, we can get in the mud pile with you mm-hmm. and walk this with you while you do what you need to do. And for some people, it's sitting there and crying. And some people are afraid to cry because what if I can't stop? And what's going to be make of me if I can't stop? Well, your body will get tired at some point and you will stop. Uh, or what happens if I say something and the person I'm with doesn't understand and gets mad at me? Well, hopefully the person who's walking in the grief journey with you will give you the space to feel what you need to feel and say what you need to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe help you get some other support. If, you know, there's a lot of different organizations out there. There's faith communities, if you're called to them, there's a variety of ways to get that extra support. Mm-hmm. You know, funeral directors have resources and you have training and um, the gifts that you bring to your families are, ex- you know, extraordinary. Blessed to be in this, in this yeah. position of, of yeah. being able to help people. Certainly. It really is. Yeah. Um, I, I, this is, this conversation is providing so much clarity for me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, it's making me think. Yeah, it's making me think. It's <laughs> racking my brain, you know. Um, ultimately, I think this is. I, I try to validate mm-hmm. my, my family's emotions. Mm-hmm. Give them something. Uh, if they're angry, give them something to chew on. Yeah. In terms of, you know, it doesn't. You know, you may you're here now, and that's okay, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But. You know, um, the the letter that you mentioned earlier, writing it yeah. to your loved one, yeah. and 
and then they make up the response. Uh-huh. Um, I'm, I'm going to steal that from you. Yeah, please. Because it, it, it would work Yeah. because they know how much they know that they love that person, yeah. they're experiencing grief. That person has passed away, but they know that they love them. Yep. So they, they always know it's like, you know what? She would, she would want me to be happy. She would want me to, she would want me to, yeah study abroad. She would want me to, yeah. you know, take this trip to take Antarctica the, or whatever. Go on the cruise we had always dreamed of going on. I mean, there's different ways to, grief is always a choice in how we respond. I had uh, someone once share with me that I had two choices. One, I could crawl into the grave with my loved one, mm-hmm. metaphorically, and and just give die up. and give up yeah. um, while I'm still sur- living on earth and not even surviving. Uh, or I could choose to pick myself up and move forward. And then the other one was, you know, I didn't apply to become a griever. I didn't apply to the grief group. I was drafted. I I didn't audition. I didn't sign up. I didn't pay my dues. I, you know, I'm paying my dues in a different way. So, you know, it's different ways we relate to the grieving process and how we end up in this grief club for lack of better words. Um, And we get to choose on how we respond to that. And we can always make a different choice depending on how we're feeling and what's going on, because it's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel resentful. And it's also okay to figure out how I can move forward um, and what that means to me. For, uh, For some, it's finishing a dream that their loved one had or a goal they had or walking in the Alzheimer's walk or some type of thing like that, because that's, you know, supporting a cause that is near and dear to my loved one for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's lots of different ways that we can approach the grieving process and then, and how we mourn, how the outward reflection of the grief is unique to us as well. Yeah. Um, I, I, I always, I see a lot of ritualistic things, especially with uh, disposition. Yep. They'll, family will pick up the remains and be like, all right, we're going, we're going to the lake, mm-hmm. you know, we're, yeah. we're going to, we're going to the mountains, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to the, the river. Yep. And it's, and, and like, they just hold them Yeah. and they just, they, it's like, okay, they, they've turned the page and are mm-hmm. starting another chapter yeah. of this grief journey. And yep. it's, and this is, one that they've been bracing for. Yeah. And you can, you can feel, feel it. it. You can feel it in the room. Absolutely. You can feel it from them in, in the moment. And it's, it's unbelievably powerful to, to help a family from the first call through that moment. Yep. Cause you, cause I know what they wanted to do and I helped them you help get them do, it. do it. And then they're going, I've released the remains and handed them over and they've got mom in their arms and then they're out in the world to do what they need to do. Mm -hmm. And they leave sad, but further on their journey. Yeah. Um, And, and that's wonderful to see Mm -hmm. and palpable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Palpable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that is, it's, it's breathtaking to see. And I, and I didn't, I didn't, I, I never, it's, I'm describing it now, mm-hmm. but I, it's not doing it justice. Mm-mm. No. And it's, you know, when we show up and, and do the work that we, we feel called to do, especially in the dying process and at the time of death and disposition, it's, 
unique for every family. I've never, I've been at a lot of deaths. I've been there after deaths. I've been, I've done variety of memorial services, celebrations of lives, services, and none of them are the same. Every family member is different and it's, and, but you can feel it's palpable, the energy, you can mm-hmm. feel almost the relief of, thank you. You, you walk this with me, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then I'll get phone calls later on down the line when I'm doing my, my grief work. And they're like, you know, I really want to thank so-and-so because I couldn't have done it without them. They walked me through the process of all the paperwork of the cremation. And mm-hmm. I can't tell you the comfort that brought me when I didn't know what to do. do. Yeah. And thank you. And I just listen and I'm like, Oh, thank you. know, grateful that they had that experience. Yeah. Because they, they're going into an unknown. Unless they've had other losses or they've got some experience in this area, it's like, I don't know what to do. And how do I how do I find my way through this maze? Yeah. There's no Especially when tutorial. You're, there's no, there's, no, you don't no. learn it in, in, in eighth grade. You don't there's no, no there's nothing. And, there's nothing. And part of the grieving process is our minds get foggy and we can't stay on task and we get easily sidetracked in a way. No, I every, need to every day with me. Yeah. People I'll be on the phone with families and they don't remember conversations yeah. that we had yeah. or they say, I didn't say that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know? Yeah. Okay. And it, it's, it's so interesting because we're providing a service and product and yeah. things that you pay for. And then they tell us one thing and then we go down that path and then, we were like, oh, we talked about this, and here we are. I wanted to give you an update. Well, I remember that. Yeah. When, who'd you talk to? Yeah. You. 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 Who mm-hmm. I spoke to you? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Oh, jeez. Yeah. It's like, oh, man. Yeah. And, and, I, and you have to, I understand. Yeah. I mean, I understand. Yeah. Like, I, you, I, I always go into it. I don't matter. Mm-mm. Like, I'm just a person, usually just a person on the phone, a voice mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. that person. Mm-hmm. And, it's, there's no, there's no ego. I, I have, I'm interested in providing quality, nice care for that family. Yes. And usually that's just being the nicest possible person I can be based on what they want and are telling me on the phone. Right. And we get requests from let left field, field all the time and it's just taking everything in stride mm-hmm. with with a person who has no has little bearing on what's going on around them usually right and it's difficult at times but really rewarding especially when someone realizes that they've done it yes because <laughs> you could be like you know, I, I'll talk to them the next day. It's like, you know, I, I really was just out of it yesterday. And yeah. thank you for putting up with me. It's, like, mm-hmm. it's not a problem at all. Right. It's not a problem at all. What yeah. you're doing, what you're going through is natural. And then they then they relax and it's like, okay, this is all part of the process. Yeah. You, Cause you normalized what they were feeling mm-hmm. and you provided a safe space for them to feel what they were feeling while you still did the business you needed to do. Mm-hmm. There's a way to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, when people think there's something wrong with me, if I'm grieving, grief is not a disorder. It's a part of the living process. Yeah. It's a part of loss. It's the experience. Like I already shared in the beginning, it's an experience, but so many people think, Oh, there must be something wrong with me. I'm, I'm grieving. No, this is part of 
the process. I, I think that's a testament to we don't want to be sad. Right. Because like, we're taught not to. If you yeah. look at TV. Yeah, that's true. And I think I think that's actually hitting the nail on the head as to like why as to why it's not normalized. If you think the, about if you look at a loss on TV, there I know there was one episode of one TV show one time where the one of the characters, main characters, had a loss at the it was a 30-minute show. And in the beginning of the show, they had the, the loss happened. And by the 30 minutes end of the show, they were happy and everything was great and everything was done, and they were back to living life fully. And that's totally not how life is, but no, no. we learn that from what we see. Oh, I'm doing this wrong. Yeah, I need to wrap this. I need to wrap up this emotion yeah. in 30 minutes. In 30 minutes or less. Yeah. Yeah. And I, oh, I do think that's because we don't talk about it. I mean, I had to take a death and dying class in college, and I almost wanted to drop out of college, but then take it because I was so uncomfortable, and it was the best thing I ever did. Yeah. And I had to find it within me to do it because I didn't want to. Yeah. And it's to me, it's because it's not something that we talk about every day. It's it's difficult for people to to conceptualize and really sit on the fact that our dreams, aspiration, mm -hmm. and what we perceive as your mm -hmm. this life will come to an end. Yes, it will. And not many people, in, no one embraces it. No. Very few people think about it. Mm -hmm. And that combination is leads to a lack of understanding when the time comes. And fear. And fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear. And if you ask someone on hospice what they're most afraid of, sometimes they say dying. But when you ask them, is it the dying process or the or the the dying and what happens after the physical body dies because they're two different things. If it's the dying process, hopefully we can provide enough education to explain what the body may or may not do, how we can support you and your family through that. And then if there's spiritual concerns, then you can address those with the chaplain or someone from their faith community or someone they trust mm -hmm. to help with that. But sometimes they're two totally different things, but we make an assumption that it's this versus that. Yeah. And then we get scared because I don't want to talk about it because that means it might happen. That's yeah. the other thing is kind of like making mortuary arrangements. Yeah. If I make mortuary arrangements, that means it's okay to die. <laughs> yeah. That's not what it means. It's not what it means. No, no, no. And, had... and nobody wants you to die. No, no one wants that. Yeah. I've, I've worked with people who said, oh my goodness, I've been so resistant to making my mortuary arrangements because I thought if I did, I was telling God that it was okay to die and I don't want that. So I'm not going to do it. And then they come and say, those are two different things. Like, oh, yeah. 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 So then they're willing to talk about it. Yeah. And they, I can visibly and physically see the peace when they realize that. But it takes talking about it and and facing those fears. But we don't do that. No, we don't do it we don't, enough. Even I think on TV, oh, they went to the mortuary, but you don't see them at the mortuary. They just did it off camera. Mm -hmm. So you don't see the process, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that, that, that's another thing, even in mainstream media, you don't really, they gloss over the hard parts. Yes. Um, and that's a disservice to people. Oh yeah. It's a real disservice. Um, people don't, that's really interesting. Like over the years, everything that you see in media that has to do with death and dying, it, and even 
death and dying, but even before that, you know, terminal illness, chronic illness, caregiving, like all of that, all of that, yeah. you know, that's a lot of that's it's glossed, glossed over. over. Oh yeah. Um, for the most part. Um, I'm trying to think of a show or anything that does it well. Six Feet Under did did it well, mm -hmm. I think, getting mm -hmm. into the the mind. The mind. Um, and, and they did it in an interesting way, but it's not enough. No. Just having that's not enough. And that was 10 years ago. Yeah. Almost. Um, yeah. There's not a lot out there. And if it is, it don't, I don't think it lasts long. No. People don't watch it or... Um, or they're afraid to watch it for whatever reason, or I might bring it on. You know, there's a variety of feelings and, and emotions and thoughts about it. Um, and in reality, if we get some education about it and get an understanding, I think we can feel better and realize what I'm feeling is normal yeah. um, or common. Some people don't like the word normal. So it's a common feeling, common feeling yeah. um, because I don't, you know, normal versus abnormal. Then you start getting into all kinds of other fears, and it's true. Word choice. <laughs> it's all word, word choice. All word choice. You know, and it's and it's common, and and there is help out there. There are people that are willing to listen and walk this journey without telling you what to do, yeah. or making what you're doing wrong or right, or or some other judgment. Because, with a few exceptions, there's no wrong way to grieve. Yeah. And we always have the choice to do it differently. Uh, and that's the, I think that's the piece that we sometimes struggle with is realizing I can make a different decision. It, and it's interesting because I, that might even, that's almost seems scarier mm -hmm. knowing that there's no right way. Right. Cause then, cause then it's like, well, cause you don't do it often. No. So actually I'm going to say we grieve more often than we realize we're talking about grief and physical death, but we grieve anytime there's a decision or a choice, even if it's one we chose like a job promotion. Why am I grieving? Well, I'm going to miss my coworkers to take this new job. I'm going to miss true. my responsibilities because I knew how to do them. I'm now going into an unknown. I'm moving because I, I recently got married and now we have this beautiful home, but this apartment, we met each other. We created memories. Why am I grieving? I'm choosing this new place. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, there's lots of other ways we grieve right now. We're talking about physical death, but we grieve graduation from college. Why am I grieving? I got my degree. Well, think about all of your expectations and your and the memories you made there and the goals you had, and now they're coming to fruition and it's now it's the next level. Maybe it's you were working towards some kind of a, uh, a project that you couldn't wait to do and you, you worked at it for years and now it's coming to completion and you're like, what's next? And why am I sad? I, I did it. And it's because I'm, I'm realizing that phase is over and I'm stepping into a new chapter. So I'm kind of grieving the end of that. So there's a lot of different ways we grieve than just physical loss. And that's what we're focusing on tonight. But it's good. To, it's good to open that up. And, yeah. And a divorce is a loss. True. Even if you're the person who, who asked for the divorce, it's still an ending. It's still a loss. And there's dreams that you're you're missing out on. I think that was the one thing that sometimes it's called disenfranchised grief, but I, I worked with someone once who couldn't understand why she was grieving. She says, you know, I divorced my husband decades ago. And why am I so sad that he just died? So as we talked about it and she went, oh my gosh, I realized 
I thought he would change this particular behavior and realize that we could work things out and get back together with his death. I now know that will never happen. So that's what I'm grieving is those expectations that I maybe never told anybody, but I was always hoping would happen. Yeah. And I was the only time I talked to her. She realized that and never came back. And I thought that Good was job, Donna. I thought that was you're I thought, a you're a little grief whisperer. I thought that was, <laughs> I thought it was an amazing gift just to be the catalyst. At, she talked yeah. it through and figured yeah. it out for herself yeah. with a little bit of education. Of it's not just the it's the dreams, the goals, the plans that aren't going to happen or not in the way you envisioned. So we we grieve that. Yeah. So I think we do grieve more than we realize. It's on a spectrum. But it's a, exactly it's a it's spectrum. It's on a spectrum. We 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 when you say grief, yeah, in normal conversation, yeah. people will associate it with physical yeah. loss and death. And but you're totally right. There that is that is that is the end of this part yeah. of the spectrum, and it makes up yeah. a real, real, real minority of the grief that we deal with yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah. I am seeing a larger response to grief for people who are getting older and can't do the things that they've always been able to do, and now they're feeling at a loss. I can't do as much as I wanted to. I can't say yes to as many activities. I can't drive like I used to be able to, and now they're feeling feelings of grief and loss because they can't keep up with their activities that they want to do. And there's some anger at that. It's like, no, I have to ask for help when I used to be the one giving the help. Yeah. I now have a hard time driving at night for a variety of reasons, whether it's night vision or I get tired. I used to be the one people called, take them to the market at eight o'clock. And now I have to be the one to ask someone that, that doesn't feel good. And there's feelings of grief and loss. I'm seeing a lot of that lately, really? not, not in hospice, but in other areas. Is that, is that, I see that too personally with, sure. with my family. Yeah. Cause my grandmother is going on 96 yeah. and she just by her natural life, she feels that the world is closing in on yeah. her. She has, She's still relatively mobile for her age. Mm -hmm. She has a walker. She's 95. She's walking. She's and that and, awesome. she, and that's awesome. And that is not common. No. And she is very she's she's an anomaly. Yes. She's she's very 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 capable for someone her age. And but to her, she's always been extremely extremely capable. Yes. Like you, she's, she's, she's self-reliant. Yeah. She's, she's from the depression era. Oh yeah. That, that, that is self-reliance. That to the nth degree. To yes. the nth degree. <laughs> and, and now that her physical mobility is deteriorated mm -hmm. and then her hearing has, mm -hmm. has gone and they can't tweak her hearing aids right. as quickly as mm -hmm. her hearing dissolves yeah. or deteriorates. Mm -hmm. And she finds herself in the middle of the dinner table with people talking around her and all she hears is noise and no words. Yep. And that makes her world herself and a foot in front of her. Yeah. And nothing else. And nothing else. And and it's a loss. Mm -hmm. And and I've seen her experience that loss and feel sadness over it. And I've never described it as grief, but you're right. It is. It is grief. It is because she loved that. Yeah. She loved that. She and loved then, interacting and loved interacting. And especially in those ways. And she loved that capability within herself. Yeah. And then when it's gone, 
she doesn't get to enjoy that anymore. Exactly. And she feels robbed of it. Exactly. Wow. My age is betraying me. Thank you, Donna. I had not thought of that. You know, people with acute, you know, chronic illnesses. My dad has Parkinson's and he can't do the things. He's still pretty active and mobile, but you can tell he can't do the things that he would like to do to the ability that he could because of what's happening with his body. Yeah. And it's, it's had to, he's had to make adjustments and us as a family have had to make adjustments to uh, help with those types of things. And, um, and you can tell it, it takes, it takes toll. Yeah. Um, and that's, and again, that's also the part of being there to support each other through those because I'm dealing with it differently as a daughter than my mom is the mother, my brother as the son who lives at a state yeah. and, and my dad who's walking the journey. Yeah. You know, and it's all, we're all in different roles and in different spaces with it. And there's frustration of, you know, why can't I do X, Y, Z when I used to be able to, I mean, um, and accepting that that's the piece It's the accepting of it. And that's hard because if I accept it, am I giving in or am I accepting it and making appropriate adjustments to continue to engage in life to the, the degree that I can? Yeah. You know, those are all individual decisions and choices. And we take outside people's influences. I think sometimes like you were talking about the medical um, community thinking sometimes is death is a failure. I'll never forget listening to a TED talk with a hospice physician who had said that when he first started med school, he did not want to talk about death. He'd had a family situation. He goes, I was in the perfect place. We didn't talk about death in med school. That was a failure. We talked about other things. And he goes, now that I work in hospice, I've realized death is not a failure. Mm -hmm. uh, but he said, I had to go through those processes. It was a very powerful talk. I'll never forget it. Yeah. And at the same time, it was a reminder to for me, do I think death is a failure? How was I raised? Because we didn't talk about death growing yeah. up. We didn't go to funerals. Yeah. We didn't talk about it. And... You know, the first time I was faced with it in my adult life, I didn't know how to respond. Yeah. So I shut down. Sure. And now. And and, and it's interesting <laughs> because you saying that makes me want to verbalize that I, I would agree with you prior to being in death care. Yeah. But now not preparing for death is the failure. Exactly. I agree. Because then you're setting yourself up to not know what to do in a situation that right. is extremely traumatic. Yes. And and there's no other there's no other potentially traumatic experience that people don't prepare for. War. War. You know? Yeah. Soldiers prepare mm -hmm. for things detonating around them yep. and they, they have to concentrate on what they're doing and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But but this is not this is not viewed in that way. No. It's just put away mm -hmm. in a drawer somewhere. And I deal with it when I'm forced to. Yeah, and I have to. Or dust someone's going to make me force me to face it. Yeah, and I don't want to. It's interesting because that gives me an analogy of something that you don't you, you have but you never use, and then the one the the one time you need it, you take it out of the box mm -hmm. to use it, and you struggle and fiddle with it because you and you, you fumble around with it because you don't know how to use it and then you get angry at it because like I need this right now I need it I need it I need it but I can't use it
we've done we've done almost an hour. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. This has been a fabulous conversation.